Turn in your Bible to Joshua 22, if you will. Um, we we'll do something just a little different. I mean, everything about this now, this is just, for me, this is going to be fun. And I agree with you, Pastor. You, you do learn so much more when you got to study. Because, you know, the other verse, you know what it says? Study. It does. Now, Ecclesiastes tells us with much study, you get tired. Yeah. But Timothy tells me, with what study? Study to show thyself approved. And what are you, what are you getting approved for? God's approval, not the people. God. Because what, what are we supposed to do? Feed the sheep. But see, turn to Joshua 22, and I'm, I'm just going to do something totally different. It's kind of like I've never done it before. I am actually going to preach backwards. Uh-oh. I'm going to give you, and then we're going to go, and then we're going to come back. I hope. <laughs> Joshua 22. Um, if you know the story of Joshua, the conquering of the land, basically, remotely, we're going to see that, give you the history of some of the history. What we're going to focus on, specifically what I want to look at tonight, is two different tribes that just quite never made it. Just like us Christians. Oh, we talk the talk. And sometimes we walk the walk. But we still don't make it. Because why? It's always about the heart. It's how you love the Lord. But I'm going to take you to... I'm going to take you this, and this, this is what I'm going to call this. I was thinking either Ed the Imitator or an altar called Ed. And if you turn to Genesis, I mean Genesis, Joshua chapter 22, and what they were doing at this point, they were going back to the land, the, the tribes of Reuben and Manasseh and Gad, they were crossing back over Jordan. They're going the wrong way. But along the way, they decided, well, hey, you know, we're godly people too, so we can... Show people how godly we are. And they decided they're going to build the biggest, baddest, most humongous altar that has ever been conceived. From the sound of this altar, it's got nothing on the Tower of Babel. Okay? That's how big this thing is. And we're going to see that. Turn to Gen- the last, the last, um, Gen- I think you want to say Genesis. I hope that gets out of my mouth. So if you hear me say Genesis tonight, I mean Joshua. Joshua chapter 22, verse 34. Last verse. So you can turn to chapter 23 and go backwards. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar Ed. For it shall be a witness between us that the Lord is God. And wow, do we really need that witness? Remember, these people just came out of Egypt, some of them. They've seen the Lord's mighty power. But before we get started, and I'm going to take you backward to a little, we're going to take a little tour to Joshua real quick, and we're going to end up at this verse. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you gave us your word. Father, we thank you that you give us a church. We thank you that you give us family. Thank you for friends. Lord, we just thank you. You bless us with so much, Lord, that you are our God. Bless thy word this evening, Father. Give us ears to hear and heart to understand, and that we can glorify you. And for this, we thank you. Now, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, what I'm starting, why I'm starting at this point, going to work backwards, is because, as you know, if most people know, and if you don't, you're going to learn tonight, Jordan is the divide. For us in Christianity, we kind of have B.C. and we have A.C. There is before and there is after. Jesus and the cross. The cross divides. You're either on this side of the cross or you're going to be on that side of the cross. You can't be on both. You cannot. No man can serve two masters. You can't. But we still try. See, in our minds, we'll say, well, I can go to church, but, you know, God, you know. And that's what we're going to see. That we're going to try, I'm going to try to reveal that mindset of a carnal Christian. Or worse yet, you 
think you're saved. You think you're going to heaven. You think you crossed over Jordan. You think because you're going to, we're going to see this. You can say all these things. You're doing all the right actions. But what happened to your heart? Was there ever a time that you confessed with your mouth and the words came out your mouth, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Or, see, what we see is a lot of people, they're the imitation Christians. They're imitation. They smell like a Christian. They act like a Christian. They walk like a Christian. They even got a Bible. And you like what that song got the biggest King James you've ever seen? Do you remember that chorus? But what happened at this point now, it's coming to an end. All the, no, all the wandering, the 40 years of... The, I know, only God has a sense of humor. How can you wander in the wilderness of sin? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, really, isn't that what we do? We wander our lives sometimes in sin. We get caught up on a sin, and we never achieve where we're supposed to go. And tonight, we have dreams and stuff that we want, and we never quite end up there. But see, we'll build that altar, Ed, so everyone can see it, so the whole world can see it. But what did God tell us to do? And that's what we're going to see. They built this altar. It wasn't right. But first I want to take you. This is just a change of this. And we're going to start. I'm just going to fly you right through Joshua real quick to get us to this point. Because Joshua is a transition. We know the five books are dependent to, right? Anyone quote them? Genesis, Exodus, Numbers. Uh, uh, <laughs> right? Those are the five books of Moses. What, what do we call those? Dependent to. Or else, in summary, the law. In the simplest term, Moses is the law. But who is Joshua? What is Joshua? Joshua, he was Moses' servant, but not anymore. Turn to Joshua chapter 1. God sets the tone right here. Verse 1, chapter 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of God, it came to pass. Moses, you got to continue on. You can't, we can't stay in the past. Now the Lord spoke to Joshua. Verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. There you go. Problem solved. Moses is dead. The law died. The law cannot save you. Christ said, I came to fulfill the law. The law in its total entirety is now fulfilled. We cannot do it if you wanted to. But what was the law about? Remember Paul tells us Galatians? He was our schoolmaster. We're supposed to look. We're supposed to see these things. And now when you take what 1 Corinthians tells us, and Corinthians tells us all these things happen to the children of Israel, for our examples, upon whom the end of the world has come. So when we look at these things, what, what does, you know, a thousand people wandering through the desert, killing the king, what's that got to do with me? Oh, it's got a lot. Because sometimes we fight different battles. Now, a fine line, let me put this preface out there. Not for one single second will you hear anything out of my mouth that I believe in replacement theology. God forbid, God is going to bless Israel. And it, you want to destroy Turkey? I'll just tell you, everyone that gets caught up in it, what in the world is a millennium about? There you go. Why has God got a millennium? Who's going to be in the millennium? All the tribes of Israel. Israel's going to be regathered, brought in the land, temple built. Now, God didn't replace the church. God, remember, we're the, graph, we're the branch that was brought out to make Israel jealous so that they want what we got because they squandered it, as we will see. The law is dead, chapter 1. The law is dead. Now he starts saying the same thing. He starts reiterating to Joshua. Kind of the same promises. Because why? He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. The law has always been grace. Grace always has a law in it. They come together. It's a perfect peanut butter and jelly. 
But see, as we're going to go through Joshua, this is not a transition. They've been wandering. Remember, God had them wandering because they wouldn't believe. They wouldn't believe God. And so God said, okay, everybody under 20, you're going to die. And so he had them wander around except for Joshua. I don't know. who. Anybody know the other one? Who made it? Joshua and who? There you go. Good. You guys know your Bible. But see, out of hundreds of thousands of people, Never underestimate the power of God. But in chapter 1, we see that, that the law is dead. Moses is not here anymore. It's time to move on. Now, as we start going on, we're going to start seeing that pattern. So with chapter 1, he's establishing them. He's telling, verse 12, this is what I want to see. Look at chapter 1, verse 12. How this keeps specifically, if you read Joshua, you're going to keep seeing this little pool. It's just like... God just keeps tacking them for their sin and just keep. You don't want to serve me? I'm going to let you. I'm going to make sure the world knows about it. Verse 12. And to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to the half tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua. Now, why has Joshua got to give a separate message? Because they're separated. They, the children of Reuben and Gad decided they don't want nothing to do with God. But they're not going to say that. Because who's going to say, I want to go to hell? Now, what, is it? what sweet old lady are the people you knock on the doors, you witness to them? Oh, they tell you all the wonderful things they're doing for God. Right? But see, everyone's got their story to tell. But did you obey? And so we're going to see this thread over and over again. The Reubenites, the Gadites, after I've been asked, you keep seeing that statement. You got 10, you got two and a half, which is some strange math, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was wondering, I did. Well, here, I'll give you guys a trivia question. Slide up. How many tribes are there? How many tribes of Israel? I'm not there to name them. Just how many? What's the number? Are you sure? Are you sure? How many apostles were there? Are you sure? Now, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. God gives the gifts. He don't take them back. He'll remove the person. The Bible says Judas was an apostle. When did he get unapostled? He didn't. Who replaced Judas? Matthias, 13. Paul, an apostle born out of due time, 14. Count your book. Now, you want to know how many tribes there were? You had the 12 sons of Israel, right? But then Joseph had Manasseh and Ephraim. Israel came and said, they are mine, and that's why we have them, Manasseh and Ephraim. Sometimes they'll call them Joseph, sometimes they'll split them. But there's actually 14 tribes, count them. Now, another trivial question for you. But I didn't mean to give you Bible trivia. What I wanted to do is just keep you going on. Now, let's march on. What we're going to see is how the Lord keeps talking to Manasseh. But in chapter 2, and what we're going to see, is I'm going to take you through some of these chapters just real quickly and show you how the life progresses. Now, in chapter 2, we see that what does Moses do? I mean, Joshua, the son of Nun, he sent out Shedem two men to spy, secretly go out. And where do they go? So in chapter 2, he sends two men to go to Jericho, check out the scenery. Well, we know the story of Jericho, if a lot of you know. The spies went in. They stayed at Rahab's house. And she gave them a warm meal and entertained them, did it? No. She had to hide them under the thing. King found out about them. They're going to spy out the land. King went after them. Rahab lied through her teeth. Lied through her teeth. Saved these two men. Now, but she said, if you, if you read down there, she told him, you make me the promise. You promise him, I'll protect you. She lit him out the window. 
the cord of the scarlet thread. And there's so many symbolism. I Trust me, I'm passing a lot. And forgive me, I'm going to say some things, a lot of things I'm going to go on. I don't have time to reiterate. If you have questions, ask. But some of this is, I'm spiritually allegorizing at the same time telling you this ain't church replacement theology. This is just the Bible. And these are examples. We spiritualize what physically happened to a lot of people that we carry to our spiritual life. Why? We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. They had swords and spears. They did. We wrestle with what? Principality, spiritual, spiritual wickedness in high places. So in chapter 2, Moses did. The law is dead. Now what? We got to move. So... Joshua now sends out two spies. He tells them, go in, in the land, spy it all out. And as they come down, you know, they talk with Rahab the harlot. And Rahab makes them the promise. And you know the beauty of that sometimes? You know, Rahab is actually in the line of Jesus. Yes, she, is. she is a descendant of the Lord Jesus Christ. God himself, God himself stopped this world from spinning and got Rahab and her family and brought them out. What does God do to us? He takes us out of this world. We're not supposed to be in it because this whole world is going to be destroyed. This whole world is going to be wiped off the map. I'll show you, let me show you a little side tidbit. Just a peek. Well, I'll just tell it to you. Revelation. Remember the two witnesses? God sends two witnesses before the destruction of everything. Before it all falls. There are types and analogies in Joshua that are absolutely fantastic. And you relate them to what Jesus in Revelation and I'll, when I get to the wall, I'll try to throw a little at But the parallels, they, they, you just can't, they, you can't not see them. But you'll never see them if you never read. You know, the Bible says, seek ye out the book of the law and read. You know, this day and age, we just don't read. I've never been a reader. I probably, I can count on two hands how many books I've actually read. And I, I forget the Bible. I've read the, every book in this Bible. But most people don't read. We're an instant society. We want TV. Everything's instant. But you have to read. Your eyes have got to read these pages. There's nothing but raw reading. Get the volume into your heart. Because thy word of hid in my heart that I might not sin. Now, if you didn't hide anything in your heart, <laughs> have a field day with your sin and the consequences. Because know for certain, your sin will find you out. Now, as I slide back, he sent the witnesses out. Now we come up to chapter 3. This is the changing of the guard here. This is, thing starts happening. This is a new life as we know it. Chapter 3. And Joshua rose up early, verse 1, early in the morning. You know something? That's a theme you will find in the Bible all the time. And I'll just tell you, men and everybody else, if you can't wake up in there early in the morning, unless you, you know, working conditions or something. Jesus, how many times you read that in the New Testament? Jesus got up early. He didn't get up at 1030. You're going to see Joshua over, up early, up early, up early, up early, up early. Well, that's just a pattern in life. Get up early. Set your alarm clock. Why? Well, I got nothing to do. <laughs> really? There's a lot of reading you got to take care of. So anyway, chapter 3. Now, they're getting ready to move. Joshua gives commands to verse 3 and 4, how we're, how we're going to structure it. You know, everything's got to be decently and orderly. God is not a God of confusion. Same with this church. Well, he, he set some apostles, some pastors, some teach. See, God has order, structure, and discipline. When these tribes, even when they lead, when they walked, they went in a certain order. When they stopped, order. God is decently and orderly. It's not, see, when you go somewhere and there's confusion and noise and the song and don't match the people, and you're just in a church, that's confusion. That's confusion. God's not the author of that. That just tells you maybe the Holy Spirit's not there. 
Maybe there's sin in the camp. We'll see sin in the camp in a minute. But anyway, Joshua starts talking around in chapter 3, verse 7. God says of Joshua, he's going to magnify him. This day will I begin to magnify thee in all the sight of Israel. I thought it already was. Man, Joshua's a pretty good guy. Yet, sometimes God does come to a point, there's a turning point in your life that God's going to say, now, behold, today is the day. Now, I need you to, what, what's your response going to be? Joshua got up. Joshua got up and go. See, and Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourself. Uh, verse 10, Joshua tells you, he starts telling the story of all that's going to happen and reiterates, but it's time to cross the Jordan. It's time to get up and move. He gives orders in 11, behold the ark of the covenant of the Lord, behold the whole earth. You got the Bible fills this whole earth. We're to follow it. Verse 14, chapter 3, 14. And it came to pass when the people removed from their tents, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckoned me to pass over Jordan. No, the angels beckoned me. But see, this is what it's symbolic of. And it came to pass when the people... Let me back up. Back up. I just... And it came... I'm losing my verse. Pick it up, 13. And it shall come to pass as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests that bear the ark... Okay, there was the, he was giving instructions of how they're to cross. Follow me as I go. Verse 14, and it came to pass when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as they bear the Ark were come unto Jordan and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped to the brim of the water. I mean, you talk about sticking your toe in the water. <laughs> Dry. They dipped their brim in the water for the Jordan overflow at the floods of the banks. That's a small story. I wish I could tell you a side story, but we'll later see these kings and the fear of people. The nations are literally just, what are we going to do? The Israelites are coming. You know why? Because this was a flood blank, and all of a sudden it dried up. I mean, it's one thing to dry a river, one thing, but now it's floodplain. Drive the Mississippi and cut across it. That's something. That's impressive. See, verse 16, that the waters which came down, so he describes them. It was a big heap. Verse 17, the priest that bare the Ark of the Covenant, when they stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel passed over dry ground, and all the people were passed over to Jordan. You know what I mean? I stopped that verse. And now we know they're all on the other side, aren't they? Where are you at tonight, Christian? What side of the river are you on? So they crossed over. Chapter 4. God wants us to remember. And it came to pass, verse 1, when all the people were clean passed over, so Joshua said, take 12 men, verse 2, people of every tribe. Now, are you catching this? Where's Manasseh and Gad? Where's everyone else? But you got 12 men on this side. Funny math, but you'll see. So he take, God tell him take, he says, take 12 men, take 12 stones. Joshua says, pick them on your rock, take 12 stones, put them on the other side. Now, he's going to have them build these stones, and what's he going to do? The memorial. Why? God commanded them because it started out when it, the Lord, Lord told them to get these rocks, pile them. Let's see, verse 6, that this may be a sign among you and your children and ask your fathers in time to come saying, what mean ye these stones? Now remember this verse. Remember, I'm taking you backwards. We're kind of preaching backwards. Remember, we're still at, at the altar. 
but we're working back that way. What do these stones mean? What are we going to do with the 12 rocks? What are we going to do with these? Well, he answers them. When you answer them, what mean you these stones? And he tells us, let's see, in verse 9, before the ark of the covering of the water, basically it's a memorial. Joshua tells them, make these for memorial. The Lord told them make a memorial. Take 12 stones, set them on the other side when you cross over. Simple enough, huh? Remember the stones. So they did that. They've crossed over. Joshua's getting magnified. Now here's something, a little interesting. Keep going. In chapter 4, pick it up at verse 19. And the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day. No biggie, huh? What's the difference? 9th, 8th, 13th, 25th? On the first month. Mean anything to you? They didn't even come up on New Year's Day, did they? Does anybody know what the 10th day of the first month happens to be? I know you know. No takers? Passover. It's so subtly buried in here, but see, on this day, of all the days, remember they left Egypt on Passover. Now all of a sudden here they are again on the Passover. And you'll never guess what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was our Passover. God, in his infinite wisdom, how he takes the tenth of the month and makes it go all the way through the day. If you think that's a fun one, look up Noah on the 17th and see where that 17th day carries you. There's a trivial question. Only God can do these things. Only God can do these things. Because he sets these days that become these major days thousands of years later. How could things happen on exactly the same day at the exact moment at the exact time? God. So, as we see, he sent these rocks. They came out on the 10th of Gilgal. They had the 12 stones. They're starting a new life. They finally are out of Egypt. After all these years, after wandering, you know, sometimes people just seem like it takes them a long time to come to know the Lord. They spend their whole life wandering. You just wander. Oh, you come to church. Oh, you hear things and good things. But you just never stopped and asked God in your life. Just that simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. But no, we do all of them. We want everything to stay on the other side of Jordan. But see, we want to look godly. The Bible says they have a form of godliness. But deny the power. Here's the power. Crossing that Jordan took power. Looking at them, them priests standing there now, water like this. <laughs> Here we go again. Well, only, only a couple went twice, right? Joshua went through the water once. Caleb, they went through the water. It was the first time. But see, that started a new life. Now, what happens after that? Well, <laughs> then the problems begin. As we go through chapter 5, we see that they get saved. They call out. But you know what else happens here? One of the best things ever. We remember the stones in chapter 5. This is how we know God's changing. And it's time to move on, Christian. Turn down and um, let's start with the circumcision. God commanded in verse 1, and it came to pass over the, over the Amorites, uh, verse 2, at that time the Lord said to Joshua, make these sharp knives. Boy, the word of God is sharper could do it a sort. God said, make a sharp knife. We're going to test you. Now we're going to get circumcised the second time. 
You know, I was reading that passage. You know, like you said, you're studying. I started, what's the first thing you think of when you hear the second time? Anybody? Can you say Jonah? And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Can you say Peter? God made him say it three times. You love me, love me, love me. See, God gives us chances. There is a second. See, this first round under the law, they got circumcised, all tied to the law. They failed miserably. They all died. God says, we need a do-over. Let's try this again. But this time, who's doing the cutting? Joshua, Jesus. Now, this is spiritual. Don't, I'm not even trying to twist it. You know, God, Joshua. No, 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 no. But in the allegory. See, now we crossed over new life. We've accepted Christ. Now what? Be baptized. Have you? Is baptism a requirement? Will you go to hell because you weren't baptized? Absolutely not. Another one, that church theology. Thief. Had a hand with a nail in each one of them. How did he get to heaven or paradise? By his good works and his good deeds? No, by his mouth. Because he believed. See, now it's time for the people. Verse, look at verse 5. 5-5. Five, five. Now all the people that come out. Now all the people that came out were circumcised. But all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, they were not. You know, that's one of the greatest problems we have in society. And I have to hang my head in shame and feel the same part. When you go to Deuteronomy, what's the one thing that uh, teach your children? Put a thing in, teach, 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 teach your children, your children, children, teach, 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 teach your children. When you rise, when you rise, when you walk, over and over and over and over and over and over, God's telling us, teach your children, teach your children, teach your children, teach your children. What do we do? We don't. I didn't teach my children well enough, and now I'm at the end of my life. I have to feel it. I keep praying for them every day. Every day. You know, a couple of my kids I stand in doubt of, a couple I know they save, a couple, uh, that's probably on me or dad. If the Lord judges me for it, then I have to accept that. I love my kids. God will forgive me. He always has. He always will. So it's the second time. Sometimes you got to teach your kids. Why? Because they didn't know. They didn't wander the 40 years of the wilderness of sin. These kids didn't know all this stuff. They didn't get to see God. They didn't maybe see the flames on Sinai and the Ten Commandments. They didn't get to see that. What, what did they probably get to see? They probably got the sin of Beafor because that sin with Balaam, that was only a couple years earlier. That's not that far removed. So they know some of the sin. But see, then he explains, you know, verse 6 and 8, he starts talking about how the 40 years in the history... But watch this. Verse 8. And they came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people, they abode in the places of the camp till they were whole. In other words, it hurt. You know, sometimes getting into Christian life, sometimes things do hurt. Verse 9, God rolls away. But look at verse 10. No, verse 11. We'll pick it up at 10. And the children of Israel encamped at Gilgal. That's another, Gilgal is another story. And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover. After the Passover. Unleavened cakes and parched corn in the self-same day. Look at verse 12. We all talk about the manna. You know there's a time all good things come to an end? And the manna ceased on the morrow after they'd eaten the old corn. Soon you get saved. Soon they got saved. The manna stopped. The law stopped. All that came to an end. And neither had the children of Israel manna anymore. 
Okay. Again, picture where we are here. They just crossed Jordan. Now they got circumcised. So they're healing for a couple of days. No more manna. The manna stopped. Where are they going to get the food from? Where are the food going to come from? Because manna is always typing me up. Jesus said, I am the manna that came down from heaven. Well, guess who comes down from heaven next? Verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn out of his hand. And Joshua went over to him and he said to him, Art thou for us? For Admiracy. Hey, which side do you want? Hey, you, you, what side are you on? Verse 14. And he said, Who? The stranger standing there with a sword. And he said, Nay. <laughs> hey, me? Nah. But as the captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? Joshua. <laughs> you forgot who's in charge here. Look. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth. Now hold it. There's some guy standing here with a sword. Joshua said, Whose side are you on? He said, Nope. And Joshua fell down and worshiped. And not to worship any man at any time. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, Who? This guy standing there. This is just some man standing against a wall. What saith my Lord unto his servant? Woo! Bow down, worshiping this some stranger you never saw in your life, and he's bowing down worshiping them? Verse 15. And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place wherein thou standest is holy. Where have you heard that verse? And Joshua did so. Moses in the burning bush. Take off your shoe. It's holy ground. Fire of God's burning here. Do you even one time, do you see Joshua saying, why? Do you see Joshua, that sounds stupid. What are, you, are you kidding me? I got 600,000 men back here and you're one. You really want to? No, no. Joshua, Joshua saw right away. And know what we're to do when you get in the presence of the Lord and you know God's in your presence or you're there? Humble yourself. And another trivial question. What does it actually mean to worship? Here is true, legit worship. When you want to worship God, you go like this. And you get down on the ground with your face on the ground. And due to the Muslims, they got it right on that sense, but they're all wrong. But see, every time you read Revelation, anybody comes in the presence of God, down they went. Down. Worship means to bend the knee. It means, so we all, oh, praise you. Really? My, my God says I worship like this. Now, we lift up hands and holy hands and praise. And yeah, that is worship. Don't, I'm not trying to be a stickler. I'm not trying to be a Baptist. <laughs> but okay, we'll see now. Jesus himself. Now look, this is why, this is probably one of the most phenomenal, and I wish I had time to really allegorize. I'd go crazy and you'd love it. This is none other. We had to make a promise to God. We had to accept him by faith. That's what circumcision is. You got to believe. You got to believe. You trust. It's, you know, we try to say circumcision and baptism. It's not. 
circumcision hurt. Baptism, you get wet. I mean, they're different. But symbolically, in the present sense, it's, a, it's an outward sign that we've accepted God. Because, see, there, there's no secret disciples. You can't. Even, even Zacchaeus ended up in a tree eventually. If you love the Lord, you will have to proclaim his name. And in this chapter, we crossed Jordan, circumcised a new covenant. Remember, but see, remember God said, I'll make a new covenant with him? Not like the old. Not like the old. You got to harden, you write stone on rocks. But Jeremiah says he's going to put it in our heart. This is the new covenant. This is what circumcision is representing. It's a new covenant. God's accepted us when we believe on him. Then what? The manna. It's gone. The old ways are gone. It's gone. It ain't coming back no more. You want manna? Get to heaven. Maybe we'll get a taste more there. But see, old things coming to an end. It changed. It's over. It stopped. If you're old, your old man in Christ, he's the old man. Paul tells us in such were some of us. We were murderers. We were liars. We were thieves. Yeah, we have that nature, and it'll never go away. But we have the nature of Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. How am I doing on time? A few more minutes. Still got to get back to 22, so we only got 14 more chapters to go. No, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, I'm just, again, just seeing this outline. Again, taking this in the spiritual sense and as applying to Christian, I could take so much of Romans and Revelation and just constantly enter, go in and out of Joshua. It's so wonderful. But that's a beautiful story. But now what happens is we got our new life. We've accepted Christ. We've accepted things. Now it's time to go on in the Christian life and grow. So what's the next step? <laughs> Fight. Now, chapter 6. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because the children of Israel, they didn't let nobody come in. No one goes out. Right? They're walking them out. Jericho was a big city. Verse 3. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Verse 4. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets and ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall come past the city and go around seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. Do you guys understand that verse? I was hoping you'd explain it to me. No. What God is telling them is now you got the big city. And we all know Joshua, battle of Jericho. Well, this is with the battle. God's telling them, you send a priest. Not the army, not the soldiers. From henceforth out, the priests never do the battles. But see, this is the first battle. They just crossed over. We just came in. Remember, God sometimes says, stand back, be still. Shut up, shut up. Be still. No, no, I'm God, not you. Now watch me work. You got a problem in your life, your mother, your family, sister, relationships. We have these things that are impossible. That person hates my guts. They will never like me, and I don't like them, but Lord, we got to love each other. You ever pray that? You pray for those that despitefully use you? Do you pray for those you hate? Hard things to do. Man, there's somebody. I tell you, I just as soon make the, buy the cement and put, put them on his shoes myself. <laughs> That's my flesh. My heart, I pray for the man. I pray for his salvation. Did me nothing but wrong. Every time. I bless, I get cursed. I swear, just wrong. Yeah, sometimes, you know, the Lord sends those thorns on your side to keep you humble. Keep you praying for them. But see, with this battle now, God's telling Joshua, go around the city six times. 
And then on the seventh time, go around seven times. Now, I always thought, you're sitting here, you imagine you're in Jericho? Here goes a bunch of priests with an ark, a box of golden angels on their way. They walk around, blow a trumpet, walk around the city one time, blow a trumpet, and go back home. Now, man, the army's following too. But isn't that weird? Just by anyone's standards. That is just outright strange. And then you do it again. Now, what happened here in that city on the fifth day, the sixth day? I mean, there they go again. Shh. Now, all of a sudden, come Saturday, whoa, hey, what's going on? They're going around again. Hey, they're going around again. Now, think about it. You're being, you know, how many times they siege cities, right? Cut off the water supply, stop the food. No, you got people marching around blowing a trumpet. Now, either God is out of his mind or we are. Or there's a reason. But you know something? I love these little, tiny, obscure verses. In Hebrews, it tells us. Remember the Hebrews about faith when it says faith? It says, by faith. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. Hmm. Whose faith? These people walking around seven times? See, sometimes you've got to be still. And God just did a victory. Sometimes I just, see, I can relate to my life and take it while spirit life. When I first got saved, I was a commercial fisherman. And there's some things that just, I don't know, God just, I had to get off the boat. And I quit. But at that point in my life, that's the only job I had. I was just a fisherman. I mean, what am I going to do? I walked off the boat. I, 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 I had nowhere to go. I didn't know what I was going All that I knew, and I was young. I'm, I'm only about six months saved. Totally alone. I didn't have a church. I didn't have people. I was on a boat. Just read the Bible for the first time in my life. I just going through the Bible. No teaching, no preaching, no nothing. I just read the Bible. I just knew God wanted me off that boat, and I quit. What am I going to do? Man, the miracle, 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 miracle. And I sat there. I remember my first time unemployment. I'm, you can't quit a job and get unemployment. <laughs> I did. Oh, religious convictions. I didn't even know they had that. I got unemployment. Then I'm like, I needed a job. So I read the paper. I went into this bindery, a print shop in Brisbane. I walked in there. I still remember an application, probably about this thick, a little binder. I don't know what would be on that thing. A hundred applications. Filled mine out, put it in. Never heard nothing. Went back about a week later. I walk in, there's some guy sitting on the chair. That same paper, the very last application. I mean, the last app. Right at that exact very moment, the door opens and the boss walks out, looks at me and says, who are you? I thought, I just I applied for the job. I just went to check in to see you know, what the answer was. He goes, what are you doing? No, nothing. Follow me. This guy's filling out an application. And I walked right past and got hired for the job. Now, that was because I was in the right place at the right time, was it not? Only God does those things. And we all can, you have your stories of these little interventions that are these massive miracles. And I can, got some other ones. And I go later on in life, God's still working our lives. See, when are they going to see that miracle of, you know, building fall down or, you know, pray a mountain, get moved out the way? But see, we walk by faith, not by sight. See, people wanted to see. And see, these trumpets walked around, they blew seven times, which, again, carry another, and I just don't have time to expound. But in heaven, during the Revelation, another thing that these priests, they're supposed to walk around and not say a word. Be quiet before the trumpets blow. Read Revelation chapter 8. There was a space in silence for about, a, what, half hour. Heaven was quiet before the trumpets blew. And then there were seven trumpets blowing. It's just 
There's a lot of analogy here, but it's just more than we can expound at the moment. What I want to do is, is see this life that I'm building, what I'm building up, and i got a few more minutes, Pastor, bear with me. As we go through these chapters and see what they're building to to get to this life, because the same thing happened to Manasseh, Reuben, and Gad. And they made a choice, and their choice was not to serve God. We'll just go straight to 22. I'm going to get to it. The back story, without going into detail, if you remember when they were coming into land, when they finally come up out the waters of sin, when they're finally coming up the borders into Moab, well, Reuben says, ooh, this place looks pretty good to me. Gad said, hey, count me in. And uh, they went by their sight. And you know most Christians, you know how many people get married because they were beautiful or he was handsome? Oops. Made a mistake. You go by your eyes. Now there's a verse here I couldn't get into, but later after they crossed over, one of the things are called the Gibeonites. Gibeonites tricked Joshua. And that's what happens with us sometimes. We don't know enough about sin and stuff and deceive and check with God, the Gibeonites deceived them. Years down the road, they show up again between David and Solomon. I'll let you figure that story out. But God honored these people even though they lied and cheated. But it was about the sin in their life. But finally, we get to chapter 22. The end is here. The land being distributed, everybody's happy. God's word came true. All these victories as they've gone through, wiping out kings and all things. But in chapter 22, verse 1, then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe Manasseh. And he said unto them, Ye have kept all the Moses' servant of the law commanded you and obeyed my voice in all I commanded you. You know, people love to do the law. There is, you know, Christians have nothing better to tell them to, you know, give me 10 Hail Marys and 35 I Fathers, and they do it. You ever tried that? Oh, man. I'm glad I wasn't Catholic. But see, we will do, and we'll obey to the T. And, to the, and that's what they were doing. We keep seeing this. Verse 3. Ye have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord. Boy, sounding awful good. Sound like some good people, huh? And now the Lord your God. Watch this. The Dickens is always in the details. Here's the difference between a Christian and an unchristian. Here's the joy of the Lord and a miserable life. And now the Lord your God. Isn't God a God of all? God the Father of all. Right? Have given rest unto your brethren as he promised them. Who is not getting rest? Therefore now return ye. Oh, even worse. Now I'll show up and I'll show you what I'm talking about. I'll read the verse. Return ye and get you to your tents and unto the land of your possessions, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of Jordan. Here's what we got. These people don't know the Lord. They're walking close. They're talking close. They're smelling close. And now the Lord your God, all that come unto me, but you got to come. They left. See, and now the Lord your God have given rest. Here's one word that I've learned through studying. You never associate ever with Reuben or Gad. And that's the word rest. Here. And giving you rest unto your brother. See, your brethren got rest. They're saved. They crossed over. They believed. They trusted. But what did Reuben do? And promise, therefore, now return ye and get unto your tent. They're going to rest. He's got a tent. You want to know why? 
Psalm 77 tells us that this is all they got in this life. God blesses them. He gives them riches. He gives them honor. He gives them children. And you bless them. And you have these people, Gates and Buffett and these billionaires and movie stars, and they have all these things, and we all look at the things, and we see these things with our eyes, and we covet and crave. But God gives us rest with your soul. See, knowing that you're saved, knowing that if I died now, I am going to heaven. And I can say that because I stood at Dev's door with one toe hanging on and I had that banana peel on the grave hanging tin. Hey, I had peace. I can only tell you, I was there at Dev's door and I had peace, not even the tinkling of fear. Few people I know, Christians ever died, Dev, they, other people just, <laughs> they're, they're terrified, why? Because they have no hope. They have no peace. They have no joy. And see, this is what Manasseh and Reuben, because they wanted what the world had. They got the cattle. They got the cars. They got the houses. They got the property. They got the, they got the best land. They got the best. But what did they end up with? Well, what they did is they started coming home in chapter 11. And the children of Israel heard say, well, verse 10. And when they came unto the borders of Jordan, that were in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see, a big old altar. Well, excuse me, didn't we just see, uh, didn't uh, Joshua build an altar out of 12 old rocks? See how the world, the world doesn't like Christ, the simplicity. The world wants a ring big. So they built a gigantic altar. I mean, I think you can see it from space. I mean, when they're talking, it's like, you know, huge. A pile of rocks. And then they gave these lame brain excuses. This is what we see. Let's just skip over because I knew I'm passing my time too much. But what they did is they gave these cockamamie answers to the children of Israel. Now what happened is they're in Shiloh. The ark's there. The people are there. The covenant's there. They send a delegation. Basically, you know, hey, what are you guys doing here? You're going to get us all killed. You saw what God did to Peor, how he wiped us out? So Phineas, as we come to the story, I'm trying to speed it up without verse. Phineas comes, and the story's in, and if you know who Phineas was, he was the one that stopped the plague at Peor. And, you know, that, I always loved Phineas. Because you know why? God said, what Phineas did, Phineas did a work. Phineas did a deed for me, and how blessed his seed and his family forever. One act. You know, one act of stupid will change you forever. But one act of blessing will also change you forever. So anyway, verse 11, they hear this story that they build this gigantic altar. In verse 12, they're going to gather up and they're going to go to war. You got something to fight for? And the children of Israel sent the children of Rad and the half tribe. And so they, they come over there and with verse 14, they send the princes and they come over there. And it's a great big ecumenical feast. And can't we all get along? And kumbaya, they end up loving each other. And it sounds good to us. And so they end up going. Verse 22, well, verse 21. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh said unto the heads of answer. So they give their answer. This is why we're building this gigantic altar. God said we had built an altar. God gave us all these commands, but we're going to do our own thing because we need our own religion because all the ways of man are right in his own eyes. And so they build this whole altar. They make up the excuse. They come back. Them. 
verse 23, 24. We didn't do this thing, but look at verse 24. And if ye have not rather done it for fear, well, you're scared of. You know, some people who do deeds because they're scared. They think they have to. They think they got to do ten, whatever it is that you got to do. But you don't. But here's what to say. Verse 25. Sad verse. Where yet, Christian? For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you. Did he? Did God separate Reuben from Judah? Did God separate Gad from Asher? Of course not. God said go over. God's promise has always been Jordan. That side, not that side. For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you, ye children of Reuben and children of Gad, have no part in the Lord. Oh, ouch. But so shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. Verse 26. Wherefore we said, is this a dumbest excuse to me? Let us now prepare, build an altar, not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifice. But he goes on and says, we're going to build it because it's going to be a sign for all generations that we might do the service of the Lord. And I'm speeding up the verse. And at the end of it, that your children may not say to our children, you have no part. You know, these, you know why they built this altar? You know what their dumbest excuse was? Your kids are going to forget about us. Hey, we make some of the stupid excuses not to serve God, do we not? Well, you know, I, you know well, they're going to hate me. I, we, and all these excuses and excuses and excuses. And this is, I mean, they said that because they're kids. Their kids are not going to do it. Then they also go on to say, um, God, for, well, God forbid, they, they, they say, verse 28, therefore we say, I'm trying to get to right in the middle, behold the pattern of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made. Now what they're arguing, well, your kids are going to forget about us, but just in case you forget how to build an altar, here's the blueprints. You can just copy this one. See? Now, what do people say when they come in front of God? Remember what God said to the rich man with his barns? Thou fool. This night your soul is required of you. Fool. You fool. We try to fool God. We try to fool God by saying, well, we're, I got an altar. You know, we've got a Bible at our house. You know, well, you know, but I watch Billy Graham reruns. Okay. That's your justification to get to heaven? That's your justification to serve the Lord? But watch. Now they start going on, and therefore, verse 28, that it shall be that will say to us in our generation's time to come, behold, it's a pattern. And then verse 29, God forbid that we should rebel, but they are. That's what they're doing right now. But see, can't tell them they're doing no wrong, huh? All the ways a man right in his own eyes. And see, people blind themselves with their salvation. You think you're going to heaven because you think that you've got an altar, you've got a sign, you've got a Bible, you've got a cross on your neck, you've got whatever trinket thing. And yet, your excuse, well, you know, but you never trusted in the Lord. So they go on, and Phineas goes on, and all the people start saying, well, okay, sounds all right, but that's kind of compromise. That's, sometimes you've got to read the Bible for what it says, it just records the truth. 
Doesn't mean Phineas was wrong or right. It just means he picked, because it, it starts out with, thus saith the whole congregation. Really? You know, one thing I always miss through all this, I never see them going to prayer. Never see that. They're making all these decisions from point of man's view. And that's how they end up. So finally, they went their way. And in verse 34, we had that altar. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar Ed, for it shall be a witness. A witness. So they're trying to say Ed is going to remind us that God is there. Well, you know that's what people make pictures for? You know that's why they put things on their wall and all these trinkets so they can look at it? And they have to remember God. Because you know why? You know what my Bible told me? And he told these people, remember, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Over and over, here, remember, here, remember, here, remember, just time. Go through Deuteronomy and see how many times the word remember pops up. Remember, this is the first time for all of God's just telling him to remember what he already did. Remember how he came out of Egypt. Remember, remember. What did Peter tell us in the first Peter? Remember. I stir up your mind to remember. We're told to remember from whence we are fallen. We're told to remember when you got saved. And if you cannot remember that time, that exact very second, when you stepped from here to here, when you physically crossed over Jordan, and I had a beef with that song, that song we sang tonight, 275, said by Jordan Stormy going across the current. Nah, they walked on dry ground. There was no current. So the song, the song is doctrinally wrong. But when I go in there... But see, what happened with this tribe? Now, um, if I had it here, it was First Chronicles. Finally, when uh, Assyria came and Tegla, Pelezer, whatever his name was, came and conquered the northern tribes, guess who was the very first people to be wiped off the map? Reuben, Gad, and a half-tribe called Manasseh. And that half-tribe Manasseh, they're like the Christians that got foot in both sides of the world. No man can see. See, that's why I call it a half tribe. And you see them, half of them saved, walking with the Lord. The other half. But then the thing about that Manasseh, too, the half tribe Manasseh, they were Gentiles. Now they're Jewish, but they were Gentile, Gentile blood. But the end of their course, and what I want to get to you, Christian, if you're living like Reuben and Gad, and you want everything this world has to offer, and you just want to stay on that side of Jordan, and you just want every single goody thing this world has, and you don't want to spend the time and the suffering and the pain and the sorrows, the Bible says if any man serves me, he will suffer. Yet you know when I find suffering? I got the most joy out of the most pain I've ever endured. The Christian life is such a paradox. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, it's like you, you want up, you go down. I, Jesus even said that. You want to be great? Everybody wants to be great. Be a servant. You want to be a leader? Be a servant. That's what Jesus did. But the end of result of these tribes, now we still talk about Judah to this day, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We still talk about a couple tribes. We don't talk about Reuben and Gad. Where did they go? Never to be heard from in history again. Wiped off the pages of the Bible. Why? Right here. The result of what they did carried down. They, they said their kids were going to forget them. They were right. They said they got no part of God. They were right. It's exactly what happened. But why? They never crossed the Jordan. 
Christian, you know full well. You know the end result. You know the result of your decision. And you still refuse to cross over and obey God. You still refuse whatever it is in your life that you're not going over. You've got to let it go. you just got to let it go. Be still and know that he is God. And then this Lord's Supper. See, what's the Lord's Supper? What's the first word pastor says? Remember. Remember. Do this in remembrance. If there's one thing that can please God more than anything you can do in your life, the Lord seeks such to worship him. And that is to remember the goodness of God. Remember your salvation. Remember the love he bestowed upon you. Remember. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. And help us always to remember, Father. Help us to never forget. Help us to seek you, love you, and serve you. And as we take this Lord's Supper, Father, please cleanse us. Know that we are but dust, the work of your hands. And we love you, Father. We're so grateful that the life you've given to us, you've led us across Jordan, and you've shown us joy and peace. And one day you're going to call us home. And for this we praise your holy name. Bless your people, Father. Let the word find room in their hearts as we go forth this evening now. And I thank you in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Pastor.